0: the folks in the second service, but y'all are my favorite service, so y'all are in luck. You came to the right one. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be exactly the same as the second service. Identical, in fact. Uh, probably not. Well, I might say something different in the second one than I say in the first one. We are glad that y'all are here. Uh, what, a, what a great morning we have in store. I think uh, I'm excited about the passage we have to consider Um, I want to just take a moment to welcome those who are visiting with us for the first time, or maybe uh, you've been visiting recently, and I want to welcome you back. Those who are regulars with us, of course, you're always welcome. But uh, those who have taken this morning, this particular morning, to maybe visit with us, um, maybe for the first time, just want to to let you know you are really welcome. Uh, We hope that you feel welcome, that you feel part of something, that you... um, I hope that you see what we're about. I hope to see how we spend our time. I hope you hear... Uh, as you hear this sermon, that you don't hear um, funny stories and interesting things that might tug at your heartstrings, but um, but not really get to something that's timeless. I hope that in other, on the flip side of that, you'll hear and, uh, and see something that's really timeless, something that we gather around every single week, the timeless message from the Lord. So I hope that you are, are going to experience that in these next few minutes. I trust that you will. I'd like to continue our morning in, in prayer. I want to pray for a moment. We uh traditionally each week pray for another church in our community, and uh, we'll pray in our first service for Chris Myers and Commerce Baptist Church. Um, so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are thankful for these few minutes that we have together. Uh, we uh, count them uh, potent even before we even climb into the word, Lord, just because we've been given the opportunity to sing uh, things that are absolutely true to a being that is hearing and receiving uh, those words, Lord, we pray that you have been blessed; that they've been a sweet aroma to you already. Lord, I pray that the hearts behind the words, as distracted as we are, and um, as numb as we are, often to just life and, and difficulties and struggles and um, the things that we face from day to day. Lord, I pray that you would tune our hearts in these next few minutes to really hear from you. I pray that you would give me a clarity that can only come from you, and pray that your word will speak, that the Holy Spirit will uh, deliver a message to this people this morning that will bless them. Lord, we, we too want to pray for our local church and pray for Chris Myers and Commerce Baptist Church. We just want to lift them up, Lord, and ask that you would bless Chris uh, this morning as he is preparing to preach. Uh, Lord, that he is overwhelmed with the goodness of the gospel. Lord, that he is uh, placing a trust in your plan to just expose your word and just set it loose. Lord, I pray that in that, that it, I, I thank you in advance that it won't return void, uh, that you'll do something there with that people, that the great news for Chris is the good news for me this morning, that we really can't mess this up if we go to your word. I pray that he will be emboldened in that, and, um, that he will be uh, um, confident, uh, that he'll trust that, that he'll lean into you as he just exposes your word. Lord, we pray for uh, Commerce Baptist Church too. To Lord, we pray for uh, a, a unity just pray that you would bless them with a real a connectedness and an inner a penetration, inner involvement into one, another, one another's lives, Lord, that they would would put the gospel on display in how they walk together in, in commerce. Uh, just entrusting them to you this morning and entrusting ourselves to you, asking you to bless this time. Lord, you are good. Uh, we turn this time over to you in Christ's name. Amen. You can turn to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Proverbs 16:9 says the heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. I know that you planned on being here this morning or someone else planned on you being here this morning. I understand that, that dynamic. If you're visiting family or uh, if you're uh, uh, maybe a, a child of mom and dad that said, hey, we're going to church this morning, that you may have been a passenger in that decision. But for the most part, you've planned your way or at least somebody that's in charge has planned your way. But the thing that I'm encouraging in this passage is that the Lord establishes his steps, that the Lord ordained that you were to be here this morning. That's That's pretty profound, that the God that spoke creation into existence ordained that you were going to hear these words in this moment, in this place, on this day, at this time. That's... That should add some gravity to how we spend the next few minutes. It does for me. I, I, I trust this time. I trust him. I trust that he has established these steps. So I hope and pray that we can just really be all in and being attentive to what he has in store for us in these, in these next few minutes. We're only going to be looking at a couple of verses. I have one little place in the sermon where I'm going to take you to a couple of other passages. But for the most part, home base verse is going to be Romans 3.23. And 24, just a couple of little simple passages that are so profound that they're that's really going to be uh, where we spend the morning. Um, what, a couple of things we're going to aim to do in this time is we're going to try and figure out what these verses say about us and what they say about God. If they disclose and expose some things that would be helpful for us to see about ourselves and then for us to see about our God. The letter of uh, the, or the book of Romans was a letter that was written from Paul to the church in Rome. Uh, The church in Rome, you know, it's 2,000 years ago. You can imagine there's lots of cultural differences. But I think people were pretty much the same. People pretty much had the the temptation to be distracted with lots of stuff, lots of activities. They didn't have uh, a lot of the distractions that we have. But there's nothing new under the sun. We can trust that they had plenty of things that would have been distracting. They also had the dynamic of um, um, that it was a very dangerous place to become a Christian. Okay, something that's different for us, it was... Christianity and faith came at great cost in ancient Rome. Um, You'd face persecution from the Roman Empire, uh, but you would also face, in some cases, uh, more terrible persecution from the Jews, uh, local Jews that lived in Rome, and there was quite a contingent that lived in Rome. So these guys are facing persecution. They're facing probably, uh, we could imagine, a difficult place to be a Christian. You might think that Paul would write a letter to them kind of helping them with that dynamic, helping them how to brave the storm and how to deal with, uh, persecution and suffering and, in this difficult context. And there is a letter that's in our New Testament that really fits the bill for something like that. It's the book of Hebrews. Okay, We don't know that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, uh, but it was also written to a church, we believe, in Rome, pro- probably a Hebrew church. So there is a book that's along those lines, but that's not the nature of this book. This letter that's written to the church in Rome, this book that we're studying today, Romans, was not really a help for how to deal with surviving suffering and difficult places, it's really a deeply theological book. I mean, just consider that for a moment, that 2,000 years ago that the goods that Paul is delivering a church that's, that's probably dealing with the rigors of being a Christian in a very tough climate is theological truth deeply theological truth, the thing that we might look at and say, ah, it's really kind of irrelevant. Stuff, you know, stuff that really doesn't have to do with the warp and woof of life. You know, How do we really connect these deeply theological things to our lives? Well, this is the goods that Paul brings. So I'm trusting that if it's good enough for them 2,000 years ago, that it will travel as a timeless message that will be good for us here in Greenville, Texas 2,000 years later. An ancient message that was written to an ancient audience that travels because it's timeless and we can consider it equally relevant today. Romans three twenty three and 24. My plan for the morning is to read these t- two passages briefly. And then we we'll are sort of just unpack a little bit of the luggage. There's lots of luggage in here. And I don't aim to unpack all of it. I want to unpack something that's simple. Something we can walk away with. Something we can celebrate on this wonderful Easter morning. So let's look at our passage beginning in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I want to deal first with the all. When I was a kid growing up, my grandmother had a car. Uh, it was either a Buick or a Pontiac. I want to say it was a Pontiac. that had those big doors that you open up. That, it was a two-seater, you know, front seat and back seat, but it only had two doors. You know, those really long doors. That you open that joker up in a parking lot and you're guaranteed to ding somebody. I mean, those long doors. This thing was blue and white. It was a really cool car. I think when she passed away, the car probably had like 3,000 miles on it or something like that. She just didn't drive it much. But when she did drive it and I was around, it was funny the thing that she said so often that I remember her saying as she's driving this thing around. And we ran into a stoplight or a stop sign that had a lot of cars around. She would say out loud, where's everybody going? Where's everybody going? And I was young enough to to not understand the nature of a hypothetical question. So I'm sitting here thinking, well, everybody? Well, who's everybody? I mean, how am I supposed to know this grandmother? This is troubling for me. Don't pose this question to me. So I think it's important. It was important for me at that age to understand who everybody was. I think it's important for us to understand as we climb into this passage, who's the all? Who's the all of this passage? There's a little clue as we look back into the end of verse 22 And I'll go ahead and read the whole verse so we can sort of make sense of it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. It gives us a hint at, I think, what Paul is getting at when he introduces this word all. See, Paul deals in large part in the New Testament with a dynamic that we sort of lose unless we're really looking for it. He's dealing with a disconnect between two different people's Most of his letters aren't dealing with all individual people as they're dealing with peoples. And in this case, he's dealing with this this issue between Jews and Gentiles. He's saying there's no distinction between Jews and Gentiles in regards to what I'm about to say. Okay, These alls include, this all includes Jews and Gentiles. It's a big part of our New Testament writings from Paul dealing with these issues between Jew and Gentile. A great example. Romans 1, earlier in the book, Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. We often stop right there, but the next verse says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is dealing with reconciling what is a huge disconnect between Jews and Gentiles in the local church. Jews and Gentiles have less in common than a man and a woman, I think. Then Hatfields and McCoys have nothing on what the Jews and Gentiles had between themselves. And they're to come together and be part of the local church? Paul deals with that a lot. And in this case, he's dealing with Jews and Gentiles. There's no distinguishing distinguishing mark between the two of y'all in regards to what I'm about to say. Y'all are the all, Jew and Gentile. Okay, so... What does that have to do with us? I think maybe to sort of personalize this, maybe we could sort of, this isn't exactly what is being said here, but maybe for us 2,000 years later where we're not filled with a bunch of Jews and Gentile churches or people in a local church, how we might personalize this, maybe it'd be kind of like saying because someone grew in a religious home, they have no real advantage over someone who didn't in regard to this very important measure we're looking at today. Okay, so if there's some folks in here that grew up in a Christian home or grew up in a religious environment, the point that I'm about to make where we climb into this passage is you have no advantage over the person that has no Christian background church experience at all in regards to the measure we're about to deal with. Okay, so the room is really level right now is what Paul's saying. There's no uh, advantage for the Jew and none for the Gentile, but all Jew and Gentile alike, have two very serious problems. All right, so let's look at them. First, all have sinned. Jew and Gentile alike have sinned. This all, you know, this, this passage or this, this word sin, Augustine sort of defines this, really I like his definition, as a word, a deed, or a desire in opposition to the eternal law of God. Some other definitions that I found sort of incorporated this thought that I would sort of synthesize into Augustine's definition as a word, a deed, or a desire in opposition to the eternal law of God that usually involves injury to others. It always involves injury to self in some way, but usually involves injury to others. And there is a thought too I should include here in this, this issue of sin when we're defining sin is whether it's intentional or unintentional does not make it sin or not. Because there's plenty of unintentional sin. If we sort of qualify something as, I didn't mean to do that, or I didn't intend to do that, that doesn't mean that it's not sin. If it's somehow contrary to God's law, and it involves injury to others or self, it is sin. Now Paul describes it here in a past tense word. It's actually an aorist tense in the original language. And this word pointing to a past tense description, all have sinned, past tense, is likely referring to our relationship to Adam. Adam. Okay, if you're like me, which I know that you are in some respect, is we don't need Adam to be guilty. We've committed our own individual personal sins. But what Paul seems to be pointing back to here as he's describing this, this past tense event of all have sinned is all have sinned in our relationship to Adam. Adam is called our federal head in that regard. We are related to Adam in that he sinned and now death entered the world and all find our guilt in Adam federally and corporately. If that bothers you, then just flip the gospel around. Realize that now that in Christ that we find we have a new federal head and we now find forgiveness in this work that's accomplished by Christ. So if you don't like it in Adam, then you're not going to like it in Jesus. So let's just deal first with Adam. We all find guilt and are guilty individually and corporately in Adam, Jews and Gentiles alike. All have sinned and all fall short. Now, going back to this Jew and Gentile thing, all speaking of the advantaged Jew, okay, the the advantaged Jew and then the ignorant Gentile have sinned alike. The advantaged Jew, let me see if I can develop that for a moment. When I say the advantaged Jew, I'm speaking of a people that were called by Yahweh, a people that actually heard the voice of God speak at Sinai, a people that saw the plagues unfold, A people that walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. A people that were led by God in the wilderness. A people that saw the conquest. A people that saw and heard his prophets. A people that had all reason in the world not to be sinners were alike sinners. The advantaged Jew was just as much a sinner as the Greek. And the Greek, I'm referring to this ignorant Greek, I'm referring to a people that had no knowledge of Yahweh. Beyond the sunset or the sunrise or whatever knowledge that might unfold, general revelation, they did not know Yahweh as Israel did. So the privileged Jew and the ignorant Gentile alike all have sinned. All have had word, deed, or desire in opposition to the eternal law of God. And all, Jew and Gentile alike, have one federal head and his name, his Adam. All have sinned means all. Now, I like the simplicity of the all because it levels the whole room. It levels the whole playing field. I like the fact that there's no mention of degrees of sinners in this passage. I think we would like that. I think I would kind of like to have different degrees of sinners because that's kind of how I like to process things naturally when I'm left to my own device is I'm not as bad as that guy. (laughs) I'm not as good as that guy over there, but I'm not as bad as that guy over there. We would like the notion of degrees of sinners. For the real sinners, the real super sinners, we might have words like magnum sinners or supersize sinners, our sinners extreme, our sinners grande. But then for the ones that don't sin very much, we might have sinners light, kind of like Coke Zero. Okay. We might have some of those sinners that are the fine, upstanding, respectable sinners. We could have degrees of sinners. This passage doesn't deal with degrees of sinners. The advantaged Jew and the ignorant Greek alike are all equally sinners. Man, I think that's important. I think that's super helpful. Okay, it's like 8, it's 9 o'clock now, a little bit earlier than our routine. So I want to ask you to do something if I could because I think it's going to help you kind of connect to this thought. If I can have everybody in the room over here, look at everybody in the room over there. Okay, you're already kind of doing that, but just do it anyway. Like intentionally look over there. Okay, and these guys over here, you can kind of look at the wings. The wings, you can look at these guys. Kids, y'all look at your parents. Like look up at them. I see the kids looking up. And parents, you can look at your kids and look at them. Oh, look at the little cherubs there. They look so cute in their Easter, Easter clothing. We know what went down before you left the house. We know they're not cherubs. That's the point I'm making. The point I'm making, everyone that you just looked at are equally, in regards to what this passage is saying, Advantage growing up in a church, a church home, a Christian home, whatever, uh, not growing up in a Christian context, we are all equally sinners. All equally guilty. Man, that's an important point that he makes here right off the bat. Secondly... All have sinned, and secondly, all fall short of God's glory. This word fall short in the original language just means simply lacking. So this second verb is a consequence of the first verb. The first verb being that all have sinned, and the second verb is the consequence of that is that all fall short of God's glory. Now, I want to just take just a moment. I told you you there's going to be a little bit of work in the sermon to unpack the glory of God. Three passages for you to turn to. And you don't have to turn to all three. You don't have to turn to any. You can just listen to them. But if you would like to turn to them and like to see them, I think it would be helpful to see them. The first one is Romans eight eighteen. The next would be Philippians three twenty one, And the third, and I'll come back to these, is 2 Thessalonians two fourteen. And I'll, I'll tell you those in a, again in a moment. So don't fret if you didn't get those down. But let me just kind of help you first with what's God's glory. We're going to crack the code on what we fall short of. I think it's hugely important. We've established that all are sinners, okay. But we need to figure out what we fall short of, okay. The glory of God. Now, psalm 19 is a favorite of mine, okay. So Psalm 19: the heavens declare the glory of God; day to day pours forth speech; night to night reveals knowledge. A beautiful psalm. I mean, a gorgeous, gorgeous psalm. And I'm sitting here thinking: is this is if if our if our creation is unfolding and exposing the glory of God, then it's a beautiful place for us to consider. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there is a Da Vinci nearly every single evening on the west end of 1570 as you drive that direction at sunset. Have you ever seen it? Now, you may not drive that that direction that time of day. You might live out in Caddo, but I bet you can look west and see some of the most gorgeous, most spectacular da Vinci's that paint the sky where God's glory is on display. His splendor, his majesty are on display. That's the glory of God. And day to day pours forth speech as Da Vinci splatters the sky. I heard an audio that someone posted on Facebook recently. I think it was the Saddlers, uh, Terry and, and Theresa, moved out to the country, and they had an audio sitting on the back porch where they just—I don't know what they recorded it with—but you could hear the the Beethoven, the Bach, of the the. The the symphony of sound from all the creatures as they're out there in the woods. This beautiful night-to-night pouring forth speech of the glory of God. The splendor, the majesty, the magnificence of God. Just keep that in mind. That's the glory of God. Then there's us. This first passage I asked you to turn to is in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Trying to figure out what we fall short of for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us okay just keep that in your sort of kind of on your little scratch board there your little scrap board kind of your flannel graph kind of put that up there and look at the present tense there i want you to notice that i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us Okay, talking a present tense revelation of glory. Okay, here's the second passage. Philippians 3, 21. I'll start in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're looking forward to his return, who will transform, look, present tense, will transform our lower body, our lowly body, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I'm going to read that again. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Okay, we're talking a future tense thing. Now here's the third verse, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. This is the only work I've got for you in this sermon, so I want you to do it. I think it'll help you. In, in 2 Thessalonians 2.14 it says, To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Too, it sounds like something that is to come. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of the three, this one it probably has more to do with something that might unfold for us in the present tense. With the key being the gospel. There's some sort of glory is appropriated by us. In the gospel. The first two point to some sort of future tense thing. All give the sense of something that we don't have, but something that we need—the glory of God. Okay, those three things: the glory to be revealed in Romans eight eighteen, and Philippians three twenty one—that they that He will transform our lowly body to be glorious like His. And then that third one from 2 Thessalonians 2.14, that we are called via the gospel to obtain what we don't have, as in glory. See, here's where I'm going with all this. The eternal state, okay, how we're going to spend eternity, is pictured as a time when God's people would experience and take part fully in the glory of God. Okay, I still haven't exposed exactly what I'm getting at. I'm getting there. The eternal state is pictured as a time when God's people would experience and take part in the glory of God. See, here's the point. All have sinned and all fall short of taking part in and reflecting the glory of God. We're not talking about a geographic distance between us and God. We're not even talking a chronological distance between us and God. We're talking about a condition where we do not reflect what a sunset reflects. Because sin has so contaminated us and so damaged humankind, that is the problem. That's what we fall short of. I thought maybe how to sort of uh, visualize it and sort of sort of illustrate it. You know, I mentioned the Da Vinci that paints the sky every evening, and I mentioned the Bach and Beethoven that you hear, the symphony of sound that you hear in in an evening time on a porch. Let me just kind of help you kind of visualize this. Maybe like a Da Vinci, like Da Vinci is putting his hand to something. The genius. Da Vinci was like a renaissance man. This guy was gifted in so many things. He wasn't just a painter. He's a sculptor. He's a mathematician. This guy was so gifted. But imagine this genius is putting his hand to something, and everything he tries to do, everything he tries to paint just turns out terribly. He paints. He puts his, his, his artistry, his creativity work, his mastery, his genius, and yet every single thing just turns out terribly. Let's, let's grab Michelangelo. If you don't like a painter, let's, talk with, let's deal with a sculptor. This is actually a piece of granite from the same quarry where Michelangelo's David came from. It's Carrera marble. Just imagine that Michelangelo is, is, going, is going to do some, some carving. He's going to sculpt some masterpiece, and he's taking this, this substrate here, this material, this medium, and as he's carving it, as he's shaping it, it just crumbles it's got these veins of impurity in it to where it can't sustain being carved and shaped and it just crumbles and turns into dust. Just imagine how disappointing that would be. Let me sort of, sort of help you sort of connect the dot of what I'm talking about here. In both of these cases, for Da Vinci and Michelangelo, with these, these imaginary situations where Da Vinci just can't paint something beautiful and Michelangelo can't uh, carve something that's beautiful because it just crumbles, these, in, in regards to the Lord are not due to the artist. If we're going to use the illustration, it's not the artist's fault these these things are turning out so bad. But due to the substrate, due to the medium being flawed and damaged, that's what we're talking about sin has done to the humankind. All have fallen short of reflecting the glory of God, the glory of our Creator. We have become discardables, just little chunks of dust. Twisted canvas with runny, blotchy paint. works so faulty that we can't even recognize the artist's trademark is what's happened to us through sin. Sin has so damaged us that you can't even recognize the artist in the work. I want you guys to consider and realize that every person in this room, every one of us, everyone you looked at just a moment ago, everyone that you're sitting with, everyone sitting in front of you and behind you, every person in earshot of this letter when it was first read 2,000 years ago, every person outside of this room, every person who's drawn breath before and since these words were written were meant to be like your creator. You were meant to reflect the glory of your creator. We were meant to reflect the glory of the genius behind creation, but sin has damaged that and all fall short of that important measure. That's the one I was getting at. For Jew and Gentile alike, Jew and Greek alike, the advantage and the ignorant alike, we all fall short of glorifying our creator in who we are. The best of us and the worst of us all fall short of being the reflection of his glory we were meant to be. I find sometimes that I find some protection, some false protection in comparing myself to others. Anybody else ever do that? I don't do it often, but every now and again I catch myself, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I'm not as bad as those people. At least our family is not as messed up as that family. You ever have that thought? You are just kind of like, man, that's a false protection. There's a tendency to compare ourselves to others considering This passage, we realize that all are in a desperate situation when it comes to this important measure. Comparing ourselves to others, I thought maybe if I could use the illustration of the marble dust and the twisted canvas and the running paint, it would be like animating those substrates and animating those scraps so that they could then speak to one another. You know, this pile of marble, this pile of dust, this formless blocks. Look over at Da Vinci's blotchy, unrecognizable paint runs on twisted canvas and then declare yourself finer. It's ridiculous. And none of us, all of us, fall short in this. None of us reflect the glory that we were meant to reflect. God's glory is the measure. His glory is the plumb line. And the best and the worst of us are left wanting. All have sinned and all have sinned fall short of God's glory. So it's Easter morning. We're supposed to have some good news, right? It's kind of been bad news so far, if you really be honest. It's bad news for every single person in this room, every single person that is considering these things is realizing, man, we have a desperate situation. We all fall short of the glory that we were meant to reflect. But the rest of this passage has some wonderful good news. In verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to bring the all over. All fall short. All have sinned and all fall short. And I'm going to bring the all over to consider all are justified by His gifted grace. This is good news for all. For the privileged Jew and the ignorant Greek alike. It's good news for the broken and the crumbling and the blotchy and the unrecognizable discards. All have a way out of this mess. All have a way out of this mess, though not all find it. The way out of this mess is in the person that I'm about to introduce to you, the person that we're going to consider at the end of the morning. But there's two great important words here. The first of of these two words is justified. And all are justified by his grace as a gift. This word justified, let me tell you first of all what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we are made righteous in an ethical sense which should be really good news for any other continued sinners in here. Anybody else followed Christ and go, okay, now I'm not going to sin anymore, and then come to find out, oh, well, yes, I am. Turns out this thing is broken. It doesn't work. Thankfully, that's not what it means that we're made righteous in an ethical sense. It also doesn't mean that we are treated as righteous, like some sort of legal fiction, like where you're still going to be guilty, but we're just going to make like and play like you're not guilty. Thankfully, that's not what it means either. What this word justified means is it means that we are declared righteous. This is a legal reality of the utmost importance. It means to be acquitted. It means to be absolved. It means to be cleared by God from all charges that could be brought against you because of your sins. And here's the crazy scandal of it. Past, present, and future sins. That is good news. Okay, I like that word. Past, present, and future sins, absolved, cleared, acquitted. (laughs) Jewish theology believed that your judicial verdict was decided at the last judgment. Here's the scandal of this passage. The great news here is that this verdict, this verdict of being absolved, of being cleared, For past, present, and future sins happens at the very moment that you trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. Right then and there. Cleared. Man, that's good news. And I'm just going to say, since it deals with past, present, and future sins, that's durable good news. Right? I like something that's durable. I like stuff that lasts. That's a declaration that stands, that goes the test of time, that goes the distance. That is durable Good news. Good theological news, right? I mean, here they are in Rome 2,000 years ago dealing with what it, how hard it must have been to be a Christian in Rome with all the things they must have faced. And here 2,000 years later, we together can join them saying, yes, that's durable good news. Man, all sinned and all fall short, but those all are justified, declared righteous, By nothing more than the acceptance of a free gift. A free gift in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He calls it a grace gift. That insertion of that word grace is important because it means it's unearnable. That's good news for me. Because I don't have the currency. It's unearnable. You can't earn this grace gift. A good father, not a father whose favor must be earned, but a good, loving, merciful father. says, I'm going to give you a free gift. Man, that is really, really good news. Justification came at no cost to us. It was free. But it came at great cost to him. This last phrase in this passage is important. It's where we're going to land the plane this morning. All are justified by his grace as a gift for those who follow in and follow through with this last part through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption, I mentioned two things that really come out of this passage, this this verse 24 that are wonderful. We've got two problems that come out of the first passage that all have sinned and all fall short. Two wonderful things come out of the second passage in verse 24 that we are justified and that we find redemption. This word redemption is the language that was used for the purchase of freedom for a slave, manumission. And that's a wonderful, wonderful image because that beautifully illustrates the problem that we have with sin. We are prisoners. We are enslaved to this condition. We are enslaved to our relationship to our federal head named Adam. (laughs) We need somebody to buy our freedom. And buy it, he did with his own life. And he took these scraps. He took these remnants. He took this dust. He took this twisted canvas. He took this this blotchy paint, and he repurposed all of it for his own glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This passage here, I think, takes, takes us to where I'd really like to lay on the plane this morning. The, the centerpiece of this passage are these three words. In Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus didn't give us some sort of currency. I'm going to go do this thing, and I'm going to give you some... Some salvation currency. And if you put it in your pocket, if you agree to this list of truths, then you're good and you're in. He gives us of Himself. The redemption that we find, this purchase from slavery that we find, is in the person of Christ. He is Himself our salvation, He is Himself our redemption. He is himself the gifted grace. He is himself where we find justification. He is himself our redemption. Man, I've been really excited about preaching this this morning. I've been really excited about getting to this point because I, obviously as a preacher, I do a lot of talking. Right? Some of y'all are like, yeah, for real. I get it. Man, I've I was there for many years before I ever stood here. I get it, and you hear these words, and you hear these ideas, and you hear these things, these thoughts, and these truths, and you hear emphatic volume. Oh, this guy must be really serious about it. He's really emphatic here. I better pay attention. I better wake up. I know you have this barrage of information. I'm not presenting information to you today, though. I'm presenting a person. I'm holding forth to you a person today. That's who we're enjoying today, not a collection of truths that if we agree to, then we're in. We're embracing and receiving a person. A person who was born in the fullness of time, Galatians says. Just at the right time. It's the stupidest illustration in the world. But Just when the avocados were ready. Anybody else buy avocados? It makes me so mad. If you're not paying attention and watching them every minute, then they go bad. How did it happen? Yesterday, they were hard as a rock, and now they're just soft, and they can't eat them. But if you catch them right on time, in the fullness of time, eh, Fiesta, everybody get together and let's make some guacamole. It's the stupidest illustration in the world, but the fullness of time, every time I think about it, i be a big bowl of avocados that are ready to eat. He came at just the right time, in the fullness of time. This person came, this person also Gave up the bliss of heaven and stepped into our mess, clothed with our problems. This person submitted to faulty parents and was raised by people that were frail and feeble. This person that I'm presenting to you today was raised in Nazareth, the Hawk Cove of Galilee. I mean, we talked about Hawk Cove? Yeah. Did anything good come from Nazareth? Well, yes. Yes. Yes, indeed, this person did. This person went north to preach to undesirables in Galilee. Remember that, the geographical sermon? He left the flagpole in Jerusalem and went north to the people, the forgotten bunch. I like that kind of person. Is who we're enjoying today. This person then went up there and called the unimpressive and the unqualified. Tax collectors and sinners, come here. Follow me. Mm, I like that person. Anybody else? (laughs) Anybody else need that person, want that person? That's the person I'm holding forth today. A person who rode a donkey's colt on Sunday and then washed his disciples' dirty feet on Thursday and then submitted to wood and nails and a cross on Friday. That person. That person is who we're enjoying today. That person is who I'm holding forth to you today. This person died the death that we deserved. This person died the death bearing the sins of those who placed their faith and trust in him. And this person, you know, I'm thinking about this. Anybody can die, really. Now, the way he died, not anybody could do that. But anybody can die, and we all will. But what he did next is something that only this person could do. He left a tomb vacant on Sunday morning. Amen? (laughs) Right? He left a tomb especially vacant. There's nobody in there. I'll never forget going to the Holy Land with Brad Carwell and Brad sticking his head in the empty tomb and going, He ain't in here. (laughs) Sound like Brad Carwell. He ain't in here. Man, he sure ain't. He sure ain't. Man, this person overcame death. And left his grave empty. This person I'm presenting you today then ascended 40 days later to the Father's right hand and is seated and is reigning and is ruling and is a living being that we're enjoying this morning. Not an idea, but a living being that's actually with us through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You want gravity to how you're going to spend your Sunday morning? How about that? We're spending it with the living Lord and Savior. We're enjoying what He accomplished this morning. We're enjoying His personhood. Man, that will travel. This person that I'm presenting you today ascended to the Father's right hand, is seating and reigning and ruling, but here's the crazy scandal above it all that He's actually knowable. He's knowable. <laughs> Man, we've enjoyed him together this morning as a people. Here's the wonderful news for you today. This person is knowable. You can know him by placing your faith and trust in him right now. Man, if you've been a Christian your whole life, this passage was not written to folks that don't know the Lord. It was written to a church. We could be stirred up by way of reminder all that we have in Christ. But those who might be seeking, maybe 2,000 years ago, someone was encouraged to visit the local church in Rome. And they were dragged there, and they're like enduring an invitation. Maybe they heard that 2,000 years ago, and they said, I believe that. I want to know that person. Man, if it's good enough for 2,000 years ago, it's good enough for us. You can know him. You can trust him. You can be united to him by faith. I invite you to do that. Our Lord said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me cracked and broken, twisted and blotchy, and I will repurpose you and give you rest. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, this is good news. Lord, I'm thankful that with the bad news that you've given us this insight and window into what you've accomplished for us in Christ. Lord, I pray in these few minutes that we've enjoyed the person of Christ. Not just what he accomplished and not just his benefits. Of course those things, but really the person, the living being. that We've enjoyed him. Lord, we together place our faith and our trust in him. And we love him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to share a little uh, brief story with you for the supper. It's an account of some folks that spent some time with the risen Lord. And it has to do with our supper. I think it connects to our supper. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture uh, that are, sort of gravitate around the Easter season and the, the resurrection. And it's about the two, two folks that walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And it's not a super long passage, but I, if, I, if I could, I know we kind of get ready, get situated, ready for the supper. But can you just kind of surrender to this passage for me for a moment? Just listen. Let's just imagine what these guys must have felt. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I mean, just imagine it. The risen Lord, you just strolling. you on a little walk. Yeah, let's go to Emmaus, man. And then somebody joins you. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And they said, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? What are you guys talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who, who does not know the things that have happened there in these few days? And he said to him, What things? He's playing dumb. He knows what's happened. He's the subject of what happened. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see, and he said to them, "O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory?" Christ just starts teaching. He teaches these fellows on the road to Emmaus, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It must have been the best Bible study in the history of the world. Cover to cover, the full council on the road to Emmaus. He says, here I am. Here I am in the exodus. Here I am in the plagues. Here I am in the conquest. Here I am in the wilderness. Here I am and here I was. So they drew near to the village in which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but, farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. "Mm. That's what we're about to do. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. The supper environment was so familiar to him, it's the moment where they said, this is the Lord. And he vanished from their side. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As we distribute the elements this morning, let's enjoy that maybe for a few moments this morning, our hearts burned within us as we saw a great Savior at work and saw what we have in Him. Let's distribute the elements.